0: everybody chief patrol agent ryan landrum here at the u.s border patrol academy coming to you with another what's important now podcast on sunday may 28th 2023 the u.s border patrol turned 99 years old now we know that over the course of time the average tenure of a border patrol agent is anywhere from 20 to 25 years they spend their careers uh, protecting our borders our families and our communities and then they go off into the sunset and enjoy retirement, or sometimes they go off and do other things. Every once in a while though, we have rare occasions where men and women in this organization will dedicate their entire professional lives and their entire adult lives to not only defending our borders, but also serving the people of the US Border Patrol and the larger organizations of Customs and Border Protection. Today, my guest is one of those people. For context, again, I said we're 99 years old. This gentleman has spent 38 of those 99 serving as a U.S. board Trojan That's 38% of our history he's been around. Although he needs no introduction, I will give him one. I'd like to introduce to you all the Acting Deputy Commissioner for Customs and Border Protection, Chief Kari Huffman. Chief, welcome.
1: Thank you, Chief. It is indeed a great pleasure to be able to be here today and participate in this podcast. I uh, look forward to our conversation.
0: Yes, sir. Hey, so right up front, I introduce you as the acting deputy commissioner. That's the, the number two person in charge of a 65,000 plus person organization. But I called you Chief. Um, tell me what that means to you when I when I say chief as a U.S. Border Patrol agent. And, and is that offensive?
1: So uh, clearly, it's not offensive Mm -hmm. to be called a a chief in the U.S. Border Patrol. It's like the greatest honor you can have in the Border Patrol is have have that chief title. And it's and it's uh, so it's something it's revered in our organization. It is, and it's certainly not offensive. I uh, I uh, happy to be called chief over any other title. I uh, I know that uh, when Chief Reyes became congressman, Mm -hmm. he preferred to be called chief. When uh, when Chief Aguilar became the deputy commissioner, he preferred the name chief. I I like the title chief. By coincidentally, it's also my grandpa name. My grandson calls me Chief instead of Grandpa or anything else. So uh, it's very special to me. So I, 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 I love the term and I embrace it. And I'm, I'm, I hope people continue to call me that.
0: Yeah, it's it's uh, it's interesting. You know, being at Basic Academy, there's probably people in this organization who are uh, even close to retirement who've only known you as a Chief. Yeah. Yet yeah, you've been here for 38 years. Um, So, again, going back to the 38 years, uh, it's going to be a heck of a long conversation if we talk about every single year. Um, I don't think we have enough time for that. So what I want to do is maybe talk a little bit generically and generally about the first early years. Um, You're clearly a native of West Texas. You enter on duty on February 3rd of 1985 as a member of Border Patrol Class 173. For context for the audience, we just graduated the 1, 1215 session of the Border Patrol Academy. I'm not going to say that dates you. I'm just yeah. going to say contextually we're at 1215. Yeah. Um but maybe talk to me a little bit about maybe the influences, uh influential people you've had in, in those early years that kind of kept you uh, engaged and and on the right track of becoming a what we call a Border Patrol agent.
1: Well, I appreciate that. Yes. My early yeah, from West Texas, but back then if you were from Texas, they sent you to California. From California, they sent you to Texas. So I entered on duty in, in Pearl Beach, California. And it was a newly formed station, broken out of the two station. Uh, great work. We were in the midst of another border crisis, if you will, at that time. We ended up, we were setting records at that time. I know on the 86, we arrested 1.6 million people. There's maybe 2,000 of us in the border patrol back then. Wow. That's when we were dealing with that, there's a lot. But I remember the first day after I got out of the academy, I walked in the. I was going to go by the station the day before just to make sure everything was squared away before I checked in. Back then, when you left the academy, they left you with you sent with your pistol, but you did not have any ammunition. They were going to give that to you at the station. And I just remember this. I walked in, and my first supervisor was Bob Hines, mm-hmm. and and he welcomed me and and said, you come in, be in tomorrow. It's great to be here. And and he thought of this. He said, "Do you have bullets for your gun?" I said, oh, "No, they haven't issued it." They said, "We'll get them tomorrow." Don't come to work without any bullets. He pulled six bullets out of his loops. Back then, we didn't have speed loaders or six semiautos. Shooter. They were revolvers, a six shooter, and you carried bullets in loops on your belt. Pulled six bullets out of his, out of his loops, and handed them to me and said, "Here, make sure you c- don't come to work with an empty gun." Mm-hmm. And that I, I've never forgotten that. That, that. that that that's my first taste of the, some great leadership. About it. he yeah. he cared for, for me and for what it meant, and and so he just just that forethought, and I thought. Yeah. This is a this is a great guy. This is a great leader, and this is a great place to
0: be. Yeah, uh, I, the 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 part that I appreciate the most about that you talk about leadership, uh, and I've said this in several podcasts. This doesn't make the leadership. Nope. It's you've got four stars. I've yeah. got two. He had bars on. Yeah. Right. That's you can be a leader at every level.
1: And and, and he was. And I, I, I there's a lot of those things, but I'll ne- I never forget those kind of stuff. It's it's important.
0: Yeah. So early on, also you apply for this uh, Border Patrol tactical unit. I'm thinking in 1987 or so, uh, this is a this is a brand new organization, new capability. Um, and, you know, we've, it's funny, we just had the Centennial Celebration yesterday where BORTAC is now ha- has a, uh, you know, kind of a parachuting capability. Uh, so the maturation of that over time must be really, really uh, cool for you to see. But back then, it probably was a whole different organization. And, and what, what led you to that? And, and what, did it, did it keep you engaged? So
1: I was able to get in the BORTEC team in 1987. That was a great opportunity. It was pretty new. They, haven't, they hadn't done a lot. They were originally primarily formed to respond to uh, uh, riot situations in Florida and different places we've had and haven't done a, a lot of operations. Uh, and, but they had it opening up, and I thought, this is something I want to try. And, and I was able to get on the team. And I remember um, when I got on the team, my wife saying, talking about, well, I'm going to be gone a lot. I said, no, they're they're hardly ever called out. We, we, you know, we, we don't go that much. It's be great. So, so I get on the team. I, and I graduate in October of 87, November, we had our first call out with the Oakdale riots in um, Oakdale, Louisiana, where the Cubans took the guards hostage, which is, there could be a whole podcast on that sometime, how that turned out and uh, turned out good in the end. And then I was that first year, I was gone nine months out of that year that I said I would never be gone much. So that was a little, a little bit of a challenge. But, but we saw a whole new idea of, of the mission and what we're able to do, and we were just evolving as an organization. Mm-hmm. We didn't have the near the training, the equipment, the gear. All we had was a lot of unjustified confidence in our ability <laughs> to, <laughs> to accomplish anything. And uh, but we were able, we were able to do so. So uh, it was very interesting, and, and it helped kind of. I don't know, formulate my thoughts. You know, when I first got in the border patrol and they sent me to California and I was a West Texas kid and all I wanted to do was figure out how to get back to Texas. So I was, it was a job when I first got in. That's what I, it was looking for a job. But but the more I was in it, the more we began to understand who we are, understand what our mission is and what we do on behalf of this America, which most of America didn't know what we did for them back then, it became much more important to me not where I was. But what I was doing, yeah. and that 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 was a, cha- a transition. It didn't happen day one. It happened about a year, or two in it. Is when it became. Yeah. It was that was really what was important. Is what I was doing more so than where I was stationed.
0: Yeah. So I mean, these inflection points. I, I was we were discussing this before we started. Have the same kind of a experience where you know my first anniversary was nine eleven, and the sense of mission uh, and the people you're doing it with tend to uh, impact the rest of your career. And yeah. I, I I sense that. Um, even though this was back in 1987 and maybe you didn't realize the impact it was going to have but this is why you're here 38 years 36 yeah. years later at that point
1: yeah and I've, I've been exactly the, the BORTAC missions we won I've been I've been any places I've been South America several times mm-hmm. I've been to the U.S. Virgin Islands I've been to South Africa I've been I've been to Mexico I've been to Guatemala I've been a lot of places with, with this with this job I've been I still have credentials that says I'm a Bolivian police officer, <laughs> okay. Poli- policia nacional de Bolivia. I've been sworn in in credentials as a Virgin Island police, police officer as well mm-hmm. with this job. So I've it's it's taken me a lot of places, and, yeah. and uh, I uh, I really enjoyed the opportunities this organization has given
0: me. Yeah, that's uh, we talked about this too, but um, you know, and I think we're going to get here uh, a little later in the podcast as well. But this theme of um, just a kid from West Texas. Right? I'm yeah. just a kid from South Texas never once in a million years that I think that oh. uh, growing up I could do the things and see the things that I have seen and done uh, over the last 23 years and I can't imagine what that sentiment is for yeah. you over 38
1: oh yeah the opportunities are are boundless in this organization and they they and they've just gotten they've gotten more oh, I sure. mean um, they've just gotten more and more with the with the transition of the, the organization being part of CBP and the broader mission that we have now and, and how things have changed I mean uh, they're there's you can do anything in this organization and, and there's opportunities there if you just want to reach out grab them and and, and take hold of them and, and go with them it's 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 up to each individual about what they want to do how far they want to go and how things they want to do it's it's a uh, enjoyed every second of it
0: yeah hey so you mentioned you wanted to get back to texas did you
1: i did i uh, i got transferred back to um lubbock texas
0: Lubbock, Texas. Lubbock, We're Texas, near the Panhandle. Yeah.
1: Yep, and it was a great uh, station that's not active anymore. But we, uh, we, man, that's some of the best work I ever had up there. And, and it's was a very growth period for me because it was a small station in the Panhandle, and but it wasn't run like a normal line station. We did everything. We we uh, we did undercover operations. Mm-hmm. How does his border play done it? Well, we get the book and read how and talk to his attorney. <laughs> you know, I've I've often. I've often said, jokingly, turns out it's, it's going to be true, and we'll talk about it <laughs> later on. Is that you know, being a border means not knowing what you're doing has never been an impediment to your our success, you right? Understand. You know, so we so we were doing undercover operations, buying false documents from uh, from vendors. This is during the one of the early amnesty programs, Immigration Reform and Control Act of '86. A lot of fa- uh, fraud in there. Uh, we did uh, uh, we were catching smuggling loads off Interstate Interstate 40 coming through Amarillo. We would knock off loads up there. Uh, we did long term criminal investigations. We did one criminal investigation that what the State Department called it the largest white collar uh, crime scheme, visa fraud scheme that ever done, and we did it in Lubbock, Texas, with some GS9 and GS11 border agents uh, uh, back then, and do doing undercover ops and stuff. So it was pretty, uh, just because we had no limits. No one told us we couldn't do anything. Yeah. Uh, we just, uh, we just our own initiative did a lot of great work. My mm-hmm. the border agent in charge there was Don Vaughn, probably the greatest field leader I've ever worked for, yeah, ever. And uh, he was a, another great leader that I uh, influenced me greatly about how to treat people and how to lead people and how to, how to stay engaged.
0: I love it. It's, uh, you know, the, the influences we have over time, good or bad, can shape who we, um, who we become and how we treat people in the future as well. So. Yeah. so you make it back to, when did you start promoting?
1: So I had probably one of the most unusual careers you'll ever see. I was a GS-9 <laughs> in Lubbock, Texas, mm-hmm. and then I was promoted to be a GS-11 assistant chief and headquarters.
0: Okay, that does not sound normal. Uh, that's very unusual.
1: <laughs> Iowa, uh, at the time, uh, again, it was still it was in 1996. Okay. They were they were still a uh, uh, still INS Border Patrol. Mm-hmm. Uh, INS had an intelligence program. Border Patrol had sporadic intel programs, different sectors. So the decision was made: we're going to stand up, put Border Patrol agents in the INS intel program. So Robert Harris was selected, to go up there to be an assistant chief. Mm-hmm and we worked worked very well together, uh, known each other for a long time, and uh, they wanted wanted me to put in for the job as well. I had done some details at the headquarters. What got my foot in the door was my experience in Vortac because in several of these teams, these missions I led, we were in in South America. I was the intel lead on those and developed that, again, outside the normal training patterns. I was able to make the criteria, so I went up there as an assistant chief with Robert Harris to stand up the intel program. And, and we what you see now in the Border Patrol Intel program, it started with myself and Robert Harris. Established the first protocols, the first standards, the first collection requirements, mm-hmm. the first training venue. Everything we did about Intel, it's it, it pre-CBP days. Me and Robert Harris started that. and From 96 to '96 yeah. to 97, 98 time frame, we did yeah.
0: that. When was the first time you and Robert Harris were running around making changes in the Border Patrol?
1: So uh, that was the first time I met Robert Harris was he was actually Detail. He was an agent in San Clemente, and I was in Imperial Beach, and somebody brought him down because he just wanted to work the line. And I met him there, and then we went through Bortec Class Four together. Yeah.
0: So if you don't know, this is a former chief patrol agent, actually former also deputy chief of the Border Patrol uh, at one time. Yeah. uh, Robert Robert Harris, since retired uh, as the director of JTFW, I believe, down in San Antonio when we were doing that. But it it brings up a good point Um, for those young agents that are listening. I say this all the time, like, you know, what, what's the key to success? One of the keys to success is a learning your job and doing that correctly. The other key to success is being a good teammate because you never know when your path is going to cross yeah. and how many times it's going to cross in the future. Um, that, that will lead to opportunities. So maybe talk a little bit about just being a good teammate very early on in your career and how that impacts you later. So that,
1: that, that's very important to be, um, uh, to, to understand who you're working with yeah. uh, to, to be, you know, you always need to be the first one to work, last one to leave, do the job, make sh- never be the person someone can always count on and depend on to be there and do the right thing and make the right choices. I, uh, I you know, when people now ask me for career advice, I, I give it, it's pretty simple for me. I did, it's two pieces: one, make a hand, and I always got to explain what that means. That's cowboy talk for be make it, be a good good worker. Just make a hand whatever job you has in front of you, do that the very best you can, because there's no guarantee that i mean it, w- those doors won't open if there's another if if this job you're doing in front of fr- right in front of you is not being done the very best you can you have to do that and secondly i tell people never take a job you're not prepared to do the rest of your career because there's no guarantee of another one that's a great point point. and if you don't if you're not doing the first part of what i just told you there will not be another opportunity that's right and so uh, and so advice. i always tell people that we have different career ideas hey i want to do this first and that first i mean those are good ideas but but there's no guarantee any of those are going to work. If you're not making a hand,
0: it's funny too, and, and that's it's tremendous advice. I mean, that's 38 years of worth of experience talking uh, distilled down into about a, a 30 second conversation. Yeah. That uh, if you're listening, you should be listening hard. Um, but <laughs> I, I also kind of laugh because I have these same conversations with uh, with junior agents and stuff. But. Um, I, I, maybe undervalue the, uh, what hindsight, how much value hindsight has experience over time. Yeah. And like, that's easy to say for us, <laughs> yeah. yeah tell that to the guy who's yeah. trying to come the, yeah. or the gal who's trying to come up. And, and, uh, it's one of those things like, you know, one day you'll get it, Yeah, you know, and, uh, it's, it, it, it's, it kind of makes me chuckle, but it's fantastic advice and I hope people are listening. Yeah. Um, so 1996, you're an assistant chief, then what, what happens?
1: So at headquarters for, uh, Three or four years trying to make a hand, right? Yeah. Get <laughs> all right, apparently. Yeah, yeah, you know, trying to, you know, to open up, and I had the opportunity to, uh, but I needed to go back to the field, right? Because that's where your heart is, and so I had the opportunity to go back and be the patrol agent in charge of the Marfa station, yeah. and and uh, again,
0: Marfa's in West Texas. Marfa's in West Texas, a whole lot like home.
1: And there's a, a couple of great leaders there that worked for me down there. That was that was super, you know. So I, I talk about it in, in person, very influential headquarters, Robert Harris and the people I worked with up there. Yeah. I go back to Marfa. Texas, I got selected to patrol in charge, and there was a small station. I had two first line super, had a, back then they still had they were your patrol in charge and assistant patrol in charge you know mm-hmm. and uh, and we had uh, first line supervisors and there was two guys that had been there a long time that all right should have been picked for that job mm-hmm. they were senior to me more experienced than me they would never gone outside of that town but they were and one was named Lonnie Mendoza and one was named Terry Norman mm-hmm. and I didn't know them very well or knew of them and you're wondering. Are they going to be resentful? How's it going to be? You know, you know, and I cannot tell you, express my appreciation for their professionalism. They went out of their way to make sure I was successful. Not because they had ever rights to be frustrated that I didn't get picked, but you learn something from those guys that to me, it they was their professional But The mission and the job was more important. Not, not trying to undermine who the new boss was or prove that I should have been the boss and not him. They went out of the way to make sure I was successful and, and, I, I'll never forget those guys, and it's just a, a testament to the professionalism. And again, great leaders that I that I encountered in my career that made me think we got we got I got great people in this organization. Yeah, and, uh, and it was very important that Alina Mendoza and Terry Norman both. I can't thank them enough for for you know basically teaching me how to be a pack. Yeah, and and, and get me on get me, uh, uh, you know, help get me where I am today.
0: Yeah. So this is you 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 know you kind of had an unconventional route so far. I think it stays a little unconventional after the PIC job, right? And then what do you do after that?
1: So I I, I'm, I was very fortunate that I uh, was able to promote without having to move yeah. because, you know, you run this balance of family. I, I've been married for 40 years. Yeah. We had our fourth anniversary in April, so thank you for that. And uh, so uh, so my wife has been here in this job every step of the way with me. I mean, she I, I'm on the job thirty years. She's on the job 38 years. Yeah. So Christy's her name, and, yeah. and, and and so we've been married 40 years. got three children. And so we were at a point where um, – you know, she's. We had the kids in the school we liked, and so we, you know, made a decision. I'm, I'm just not going to push to promote. We're going to we're going to hang on for a while, get the kids through school in this area, and it just worked out for me that I was able to promote uh, from the petroleum charge job to an assistant chief job at sector to the deputy chief job without having without having to move. Now, I went on a lot of details. I went a lot of places. Uh, you know, I was the acting director of SOG during that time period. I ran the the uh, BPSCC. During that time frame for a while, went to headquarters for a number of times during that time period. Stood up the state local and tribal liaison office at headquarters for CBP during that time frame. So I did a lot of details, but uh, I was able to sk- stay there. So it was, it's hard to find that balance, but it managed to work
0: for us. What was the total tenure in, Mar- in uh, West Texas? What's that? How long were you totally in West so, Texas? So uh,
1: I got there in 90, got there in 2000, and I left in probably 20,
0: 2014. Yeah. That's incredible. It's so it's unconventional and it's, yeah. it's, it's, I, I'm, I'm going to acknowledge that that's rare, right? It's very it, rare. It's rare. So I, am not going to hide, hide from that, but at the same time, you didn't give up. You, you, it's okay to choose family. Oh yeah. It's okay. It worked out for us. It worked out. Highly <laughs> um, highly recommend it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, also the moral of the story apparently is uh make sure you have a great spouse. Yeah. That's very helpful. <laughs> that's very helpful. Um, so we we're talking 2014. Um, then this is where, you know, you at this point spent several years in leadership positions but where you start to level up into what we consider executive leadership yeah. is that right
1: yes i was i was I, I i was asked to put in for and i and i did to, to put in for the deputy chief job in el paso and it was a, a senior executive position scs position yeah. and and i you know um, put in did my resume wrote them has a few people locally help me and it, it made the cut and i got on there and i got selected to be the uh the deputy chief of El Paso sector as an SES position. That was a great move for me. One, I loved El Paso. El Paso's a great town. I mean, I, I can't say enough positive things about El Paso. Mm-hmm. And so a great great experience there to do that. Uh, Scott Luck was the chief yeah. at the time. And then he ended up going to headquarters. And the, so I was the acting chief for a long time. I ended up going to headquarters myself for a lot of details during that time frame as well. And so we had that, that piece going on. So I was there for, till 2017, when I was then selected to go up to uh, to headquarters.
0: This is for the chief of the... The
1: chief of strategic planning and analysis. And that was my first like chief job.
0: Tell me about that job, what is that?
1: So strategic planning and analysis, it was a component of I called it the brains of the organization. We, were, me, us and and the I always go back and forth. I used to say, "Yeah, you play checkers, we play chess yeah, and yeah. <laughs> chess over here." But it, but you developed the requirements and playing for the to run a big organization because the organization evolved. It wasn't a two thousand person organization. It was a huge organization with national security implications and everything we do. So it took a whole other level of planning and, 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 and preparation to do what we do is, uh, you know, to make sure we have the requirements, we understand what we need, we get the re- requirements identified, we work with our other components to uh, get those requirements, what do they cost, but primarily I went up there at that time to build a wall. Mm-hmm. Right? That's where we were, if you look at the time frame, that's what we're doing. We had developed the requirements for our, our wall and wall systems. Uh, we're, we're The Congress is fixing to give us billions of dollars to do something. Mm-hmm. Right? And You know, we needed to do it right. And so we had to decide what it needed to look like, where it needed to be, how high did it need to be, all those little questions. How do you justify those stuff? I spent, I don't know how many hours testifying before Congress, setting this up and understanding, rationalizing, justifying why we need it, why it's important, how it works, what it'll do for us talking about the impedance and denial capabilities that it that it brings to us, how that has to be worked in combination with our, our situational awareness and our, our time-bound law, law enforcement response and connecting all those dots together and painting a picture in such a way that intuitively makes sense to a border relation, but it doesn't unless you lay it out in clear terms to appropriators that's going to give you money for it, the American public that's going to support or not support mm-hmm. how you can do it, those things. So all that Encompasses what took up most of my time for yeah. for, the, for the
0: first few years I was up there. So that's that's interesting. So SPAD, as the moniker, right, yeah. um, is, is developing requirements and justifying them to uh, those who are writing checks and, and the American population. But it also feels a little political, right? You start to get in this kind of political world that we're maybe, you know, like a kid from South, South Texas or West Texas didn't so, think they were getting into. So so how does that so work? So
1: you, you, one thing I've learned in, in this... Well, my, my position, I'm right where the career people meet the political. Sure. and It's very important that you have to, you have to draw a sharp line mm-hmm. and, and, and set the boundaries because it's, and now it's my job to keep the politicals off the back of everybody else that's working yeah. as far as you can. And, and it's difficult to do because you can get drug into it real easy, especially uh, there are times, depending on who's in office, your political beliefs may align with them or they may not align with them. Yeah you got to you got to block all that out because we're a federal public servants. Mm-hmm. We're there to serve whoever the people put in office regardless of whether we agree with them politically or
0: disciplined in the executive branch. Yeah, that's this
1: whole executive that's what we we swear an oath to to do that, right? To support and defend the constitution mm-hmm. and that's part of that. So you have to draw a line and, and, and know where that, that that boundary is. And that takes some experience because the polit- the the political people that will subtly draw you across into that game. And it may feel great at that moment, but when the when the administration changes, you're on an island. That's right. So you have to recognize that yourself and keep you from being drugged over that line, and also not allow anybody that's working for you being drugged on that line as well. Uh, our 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 support of building a wall was something we had advocated for for years. That was not a political in my mind at all. Right. I was in San Diego back in 1985 and '86 when we had landing mat. We were welding landing mat on the on the, calling it a fence, you know those kind of things. So that wasn't. It wasn't a hard challenge for me. I could justify that in a non-political way.
0: Yeah.
1: Either way, can to this day and yeah. still do to this day.
0: Yeah, so what I appreciate about that conversation right there is you're not a robot. You're a human being, right? And I think that sometimes, rightly or wrongly, gets lost in the public narrative, especially within the ranks. Um, we are an apolitical organization. We're, an a- we're apolitical leaders. We live in the executive branch, and we execute based on um, facts and, and providing best national security advice to yeah. decision makers. So I appreciate you you know, being a little vulnerable, showing some humanity there and, and saying it's hard. It's yeah, not, it this job is not easy.
1: Yeah. Well, you, you can get drugged into something very quickly that you don't need to be, or and at, at this level, inadvertently drag your agency into it. And Absolutely. that's where you owe your allegiance to is back to t- taking care of your people. And yeah. that's what you gotta, that's what you have to focus on.
0: Very well said, thank you for that. Um, so you're SPAD, uh, and then we kind of accelerate into, I believe, the e- Executive Assistant yeah. Commissioner for Enterprise Services, yeah. which is, again, uh, you know, I think you said we're a, a very young organization. Generally, a CBP, uh, we're going on, what, 20, 20 plus years? Tw- 20 now, years, right? 20 years. So the the vertical of the executive um enterprise services yeah. excuse me of enterprise services is actually even younger
1: it, it is because and that was <clears throat> like i said cbp is a young organization i mean it's basically 20 years old. basically we're, we're a teenager at best right mm-hmm. and i often say cbp was a shotgun wedding at first right <laughs> i mean I'd be, anybody that around when we when we were formed knows that yeah. it was you know we were those customs guys mm. yeah, and those custom guys were like those knucklehead you know yeah. and so we spent a lot of time and I think it was probably necessary I mean, with that, but, you know, kind of, uh, you know, battling back and forth. Who's going to be whose boss? I don't, you know, and and so that and it, it took a little bit to work through that. You know, that's hard. It changes hard. There's no question. That was tough, you know. Uh, uh, customs have been around since, since 1789. Mm-hmm. I mean, and they ceased to exist as an organization by that. So you, if you step in their shoes, that's very painful. I mean, I mean, and I'm so, broker. and, and, and the, uh, the Border Patrol, you know, we've been around since nineteen twenty four and we basically all we had to do was add a patch to our uniform, yeah. right? And so and so once you put it in that context, I became much more empathetic to the, the rest of the organization. But 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 in and looking at it, we, we got past that. And and I say we're a shotgun wedding that 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 that's grown to love each other because our missions have aligned in such a way that that we're not overlapping, we're not competing, we are we are complementing who we are and what we do, and it's become a much better organization because of that. Once we've kind of got yeah. got got that kind of settled out and in in going the right direction, and so it's work it's working out. Uh, it continues to get better how we do stuff. But when they asked me to be the uh, Executive Assistant Commissioner of Enterprise Services. That was when I should have been retiring because I, I had I hit mandatory retirement age in May of uh, 2018. And when they asked me to switch over to that, they wanted they wanted and they wanted someone to be an operator uh, to run Enterprise Services, which they had not had before for a couple of reasons. But for those that are not understanding kind of those components, let me kind of walk yeah, through that a little bit because please. we had a. <clears throat> Prior to that, there was a commissioner, a deputy commissioner, and 21 assistant commissioners. And say the chief of the Border Patrol was the equivalent of an assistant commissioner. And they all answered up to the deputy commissioner. And that was just too much, right? So they decided to re- control. Yeah, it was tough. So they decided to reorganize that. So they broke it into six components, four operational and two support. And the components were the U.S. Border Patrol, so the chief of the Border Patrol, Chief Ortiz, is... The t- operational title chief, but he is the equivalent of an executive assistant commissioner. Mm-hmm. The head of office of field operation is an executive assistant commissioner, head of air marine the same, uh, head, the head of the office of trade. Those are your operational components. Yeah. And, and I'm going I'm to bump trade a little bit because they all get overlooked in who they are and what they yeah. do, but I'm just pointing this out. Every year, <laughs> trade puts 111 billion with a B dollars into the budget yeah. of, of the U.S. government they're huge component of what we do. Absolutely. So let's not, they don't get the, they don't get all, they don't have the flashy cars and uniforms. <laughs> equally important across. Yes, but, and the two other so- components are the ops support, operation support, run by EAC Padilla, and then uh, the enterprise services. And enterprise services is spanning control. It's all the mission support for all of CBP. It's HRM, Office of Training, uh, uh, OFAM, o- 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 Facilities Asset Management, it's uh, Office Acquisitions, Procurement, office accountability, OIT, all those big components are are, are oversight of that in 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 that in that program uh, enterprise services. So when they asked me to be the lead of that, my first question was, "Have have you read my resume? (laughs) I mean, what (laughs) makes you think I know anything about any of that stuff? (laughs) (laughs) What makes you think I do any of that stuff?" (laughs) So that was, but but they wanted, uh, but they wanted someone to be an an opera a a um, uh, an operation an operator in charge of it because there's concerns that in that structure that that uh, maybe they are in the mindset possibly thinking they're competing with the operational components mm. and not supporting operational okay. components okay. and so we wanted to have a convers uh to have that and it turns out that was one of the best jobs i've ever had I, one of the most fulfilling for one i didn't know what i was doing yeah. right so I, it's a learning experience i had to learn i had to go back in there and and just relearn the whole process. There's, that is very complicated work. Each one of those programs, extremely complex. I understand it, so try to start learning that, uh, understanding that program, very important. What I learned was we had a team of professionals that wanted to do the mission, very much wanted to do the mission, and very much so all the, they just needed that focus. They needed to know who we are and what we were doing. And that's why I think having an operational leader, a comp, uh, an operator's leader was huge to that success of that operation. And I did two things there that I thought was important. I I told them to get rid of the term customer service. Yeah. And uh, and there's some reasons for that, but the um, um it just that doesn't actually describe the relationship that we have that, that, that they have with them because customer service implies that if you're not getting the the the, the service you need, you can go somewhere else, mm-hmm. and that's not true, yeah. right? They can't if if, if if we're not supplying the right the vehicles to the board Pro, they can't go to the Ford dealer and buy them themselves. Right. They have to use what they get. They can't go to radio shacks and buy radios if they're not getting the radios they need. They have to do that. So I said, forget that. We're not going to be customer service. That's not. We're going to be partners, not just partners. We're going to be trusted partners. And what does that mean? We're going to have that relationship where we're integrated in what they think, what they need, be anticipatory of what they're doing. And the second thing I said we're going to do, we're going to, we're going to provide at the speed of the operations. It's no good if they say, I need a soft-side facility built here. That's great. We'll have it there next year. That's not the speed of operations. Yeah. When they need it, they need it now. So how do you provide that stuff now and still be true to the acquisition rules? That means you have to be early on in the conversations. You have to, they have to trust you. You have to trust them that when they're starting to even think about doing something like that, you're in that conversation then, so you're anticipating the needs and moving. Those are the relationships that, that we sought to change and continue to change between the Support op- support components in the operators of uh, operation components of this organization. That's awesome. I kind of went off on a tannish there, but I, I oh, want to make sure I got that in. That's exactly <laughs> what I
0: mean. that's why we're having this conversation. <laughs> um, and I, and I, I tell this story often. Um, you mentioned training and development. So the U.S. Border Patrol Academy and the Field Operations Academy, both for Air Marine and, and also OFO, actually are in – the ES vertical. Correct. So we're uniform. 100% of my staff is Border Patrol related. Border Patrol pays us a lot of money to do yeah. this. But really, um, you're kind of my boss's boss, technically. Yeah. You know, and, and we're not in big Border Patrol proper. Um, so going back to this generational change, that probably wouldn't have been a thing 20 yeah. plus years ago.
1: No. And so it, so it, <clears throat> That's why it's important to have that relationship. It's not customer service; it's yeah. partnership. That's that it. that the, that that the relationship between the training components of ES and their and their operational components that they support and the thing. That's why that 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 that's why that partnership is probably more critical than anywhere. in that relationship because several things. One, uh, and this is something we make sure we we talk about. And, and uh, I know AC Hall is a very a big proponent yeah. as well. Is that we know that people coming out of the operational components into the training environment into ODt to run the academies or working academies that that they have to um, you do so knowing that they have to stay viable and you take and, and they're taking something back out of that that makes them a wanted entity back in their operational components yeah, right huge on you, it. you have to think that and you have to know that and so when you bring somebody in so like for like the chief of the academy yeah. or the XD of the local Academy or any of those academies that's part of a plan that's not a that's not a that's that's not a in spot that's a that's a spot that's a spot that that this person is going to be a chief here i mean it's not right. someone's we're not putting someone there today to there forever we're looking that we've been looking and we had these discussions it's the overall growth and succession of the organization so let's make sure they're all integrated in all the planning for 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 how we grow the organization put the right leaders in the right place at the right time mm-hmm. all that's part of our conversations when we when we make those decisions right. and we look at that
0: i love that you said that because you you know you're a board treasure, you branch out and you go do this es thing um, I'm a board patrol agent I branch out and I um in office and training and development I call them broadening experiences so we can be great operators I mean after after a certain amount of time you're pretty proficient as a board patrol agent um, I'd like to see you be broader and deeper on many things and I can tell you right now and I you know everybody has a you know, predisposition on on of training training development and I'm you know not fluffing up anybody's skirt here but it's a, it's a whole different world like the business of training alone uh, in fact, I think has made me uh, a, a better leader uh, over time. So I don't know what the next stop is going to be or when that's going to be, but my confidence level to go out and look at things differently, to assess our workforce and, and do those things that need to be done for the organization to mature, like you said, um, is, is just greater. And and it's a testament for to see guys like Chief Huffman step out of Border Patrol 2 and go do something else. It's, it's just It's inspirational for us.
1: Well, I appreciate that. It's this, this, <clears throat> and, and, and you're you're right. I mean, we've had opportunities to do things that kind of look beyond and broader, and it's and, it, and it's rewarding as well too, because it's a when you start learning stuff outside of this world, you know, the the acquisition world is huge. Oh. How you you know, we spend billions of dollars. How that works and how you do that is important. You know, our OIT we have the most CBP has probably the most complex, challenging OIT. Uh, mission in the world, maybe outside of the DoD. I mean, we store more data, we manage more data than anybody else in the federal government, again, except for the DoD and maybe some of the DoD because we, we're, we're the answer to everything. And it's mm-hmm. huge and complex. So all that stuff, it takes a lot to understand who we are as, as an organization. Yeah. But I want to I circle back yep. to our academies now because there's been a big focus on that. That leadership piece and who we put in there is important. We have the best... Uh, Academies, uh, the Border Patrol Academy. I'll talk about it in particular, uh, but it, it is the best law enforcement academy in the country, mm-hmm. bar none. You can look at compare it to anything else, and because I, I watched it evolve, I watched it evolve uh, over the years, and and what we it got better. We have reached out and looked at other academies around the country, took the best here and the best there, made it made, and, and, and evolved it in ours, and we no one else turns out a better trained agent than the U.S. Border Patrol Academy when they walk out of the same across barna and i'm not just telling it because really? you're here sure. I'm, I'm telling it because i help build the system yes, right <laughs> so that's and we, we we and we and that's and that's our goal we are the premier cbp as a whole because all folk the the other academies as well they top quality we're the best we are the best in this country we're the largest and the most premier law enforcement agency in the country without question and i'll i'll let anyone try to challenge me on that and i'll uh, in any way they want to and do that but that's not by accident. That's what that's cause what we want. That's what we expect, and that's what we're going to have.
0: Yeah. Well, I definitely appreciate you us uh, appreciate you trusting us to to continue to take that vision, and uh, maturing it to twenty twenty three and beyond. Yeah, it's, just, we, it's we we owe it to uh, national security and the people of this country to make sure that we continue to do that. Yeah. So personality notwithstanding, right? Yeah, it doesn't matter who's sitting here. Uh, that that should be their charge. Full stop. Every single day. Yeah. So you. So technically, if I'm not mistaken. You are technically the EAC of ES
1: right now. I'm I'm the EAC of Enterprise Services. Yes. Then I've been the acting. I was the acting yeah, deputy commissioner for a while. <laughs> <laughs> I was. Uh,
0: it gets wonky after this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I
1: was the acting deputy commissioner. Then I was the acting chief operating officer. Yes. Now I'm back to the acting deputy commissioner mm-hmm. and chief operating. So I'm actually the chief operating officer, acting chief operating officer, and the acting deputy commissioner, and the uh, technically the real EAC. But of course, yeah. uh, Chief Landrum's the. Chief acting Scudder. EAC, and he's or Chief Scudder. Sorry, yeah. you rhymes all look alike. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's Chief. gonna take offense. Right? <laughs> Chief, yeah, Chief, Chief Scudder is the uh, is the acting EAC of uh, of Enterprise and, and doing a great job there yes, as well. Sir, so, uh, so yeah, I've, I'm actually wearing two hats right now.
0: Yeah. So, what when you say you're the acting deputy commissioner for a sixty-five thousand plus person organization with all the acquisitions and the trade and this, that, and the other distill for the audience what is your job what do you do so
1: <clears throat> i can tell you what i've what the job is but what i've really been doing Perfect. all right you know because you know the, the job is you know all the operational components uh report up to the um they report up to the deputy commissioner sure. in theory the support components report up to the chief operating officer since i'm now both of those yeah. we're at You're right busy. there uh, uh, <laughs> but uh but the, the how we balance it out is is, is we do a couple of things because you know troy miller's the acting commissioner yes. you know we're all actors uh yeah. since uh and and he is he is he's he he is does a great job very engaged in the, in the in the operation of what we're trying to accomplish because you know we are the focus of everything so we're pretty well locked up on all those decisions hand in hand about how we how we approach the challenges we're facing like the current crisis that we're seeing on on the border with the uh uh, with a, with the migrant population leading up to, leading up to May 11th, and now that it's kind of, you know, the numbers have dropped a little bit for a while, don't know how long that's going to hold, you know, but managing that and getting the resources in the right place, s- supporting our people, trying to implement the policies of uh, of the current administration as best we can and, and trying to, you know, keep it all together. Uh, but my primary focus for the last couple of years is is coming up with better ways to take care of our people. Because that's been, you know, I uh, say, uh, you know, our workforce—it's been through a grind for the last four years. It's been through a very, very difficult grind for the last four years, and and it's been a tough challenge. I mean, it's been—we've had a, uh, uh, we, you know, been on a job as you said, 38 years, and I've seen grinds. I know what a grind looks like, right? <laughs> and, and and we—this is the the most challenging times I've seen in my 38 years these last these last four years, awesome. uh, but without without a doubt, as far as our what our workforce is dealing with, and so. And it's, and it's tough, you know, normally, uh, you know, last year we had 15 suicides across CBP, which is the most we'd ever had. Uh, Now, um, we'd had 14 uh, back in 2009, so we've had high numbers before, but we, we just figured, we had to figure better ways to take care of our people. So the last, the last uh, couple years we've been working on is figuring out better ways to do that. And that's, uh, you know, we've done a lot of stuff in that, in that arena to establish our workforce care directorate and things we're trying to accomplish. But those things are, are been very important because at some point, that's the best you can do is what you can to take care of your people, and that's what we've been trying to accomplish.
0: That's awesome, um, very noble, and I, I definitely appreciate it, again not just because you're here, but uh, you and Acting Commissioner Miller um, really do listen. I think I think you you're, you're illustrating that you've heard what the workforce needs, and you work unapologetically to get those things done. You know, I think we talked at lunch the other day is you know maybe not happening, all that's it's happening as quite at the speed that you want it, but that's yeah. that's also life. Yeah, right? but I, I would offer that it's happening faster than you probably think it is. So comparatively to so, what we've been through, so, uh,
1: it, it, I hope so because you know we've uh, to make things kind of permanent in in, in your culture it takes it yeah. takes a while. You got to lay a good foundation so it's not just a, a fad, right? It's not something that's going to happen and go away. That you're building in something a real level of permanence into it. So mm-hmm. so 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 we've established the workforce care directory and with the focus of of. Of trying to take better care of our people and what we can do, those things, and we've got a lot of things that we're doing in place to do that. Um, But I want to, I want to, um, the concept we're doing at, at, uh, stolen a little bit from the academy, just so you know. You're and I, and I, and I, and it, and it came back, and so we're all familiar with the book "Left of Bang," yes, or at least in the training environment, all right, that that book. And so it's funny; I'd read that book independently years ago, and I called. Dan Harrison, he's a chief, and said, I don't know if you read this book, which I only looked at, it, and he said, I don't know if you've read it. We've already we've had the author up here and we've been, you know, working some of our tactics with yes. it. I said, Oh, okay, all right, well that's good. So I'm glad we're on the same page. But you know, basically the, the, the for those that haven't read the book, the left of bane concept is basically it's written by a Marine officer trying these young Marines to go into combat in Afghanistan. And and I'm gonna oversimplify this, but basically trying to teach them to have a bias towards action mm-hmm. before something happens, to have it a to have the to be attuned to these pre-incident indicators that have a bias towards intervening early. So, you know, on the concept left of bang, bang is when a terrorist blows something up. Bang is when an active shooter kills everybody. Bang is when something really bad happens. So we're applying that same contact to our con- context to our workforce care mm-hmm. directorate. And for that context, for us, bang is a suicide. Sure. Bang is an arrest for DWI. Mm-hmm. Bang is arrest for domestic violence. Bang is uh, you're angry because you're in a toxic work environment, and you leave the work f- workplace workforce early unnecessarily. That's and that concept. That's that's bang. So we're trying to do things in this workforce care direct to keep things left of that, which includes yes, it includes the suicide prevention training and the intervention, but so much more than that. It's the stuff that you can get from your your, your backup care, your child care, any, all the stressors that you may be in off your financial, you know. Uh, literacy training, and, and a whole number of things to keep, think, keep there, or any other um, mental health challenges you may be having that you need to deal with uh, to keep you way left of this problem over here, and that's that's what that whole concept is. And so that's we just applied that that same concept to our to this directorate, and, and I like using that terminology because that connects better with your operating components. Absolutely. They they get left of bang, Absolutely. they get what that means, they get that things, and it and it's one. I'm a simple guy, so I need simple words and simple concepts to make be able to explain it. So it helps me uh, mm-hmm. talk through it as well. Good deal.
0: Um, so I think again, I mentioned it up front. We're in the "What's Important Now" podcast. I think you talked about workforce care. That's vitally important to what you do. Maybe close us out with another one or two things uh, unrelated to workforce care that is on your mind. Uh, and I, you know, forgive me for saying this out loud in the podcast, but I think. The uh, 38 years plus yeah. is coming to so. an end. We're about 30 days out, or so. Yeah. Um. My guess is uh, you're thinking about a few things.
1: So, it's a couple of things that kind of evolved in my thinking in in the last few years or a number of years, and that's and and that's what we want to be <laughs> as an organization. What we want the legacy, the, the, this agency to be, right? So, I, I said before, 20 years of organization. We're very young, but we're still very formative. We're still very malleable as an agency. So I think leaders, everyone, especially leadership, should be coming to work every day trying to decide what we want to be. We, we, this is a rare opportunity. Never in our lifetimes will we have the opportunity to shape the department of the federal government. We're not going to have that chance again, right? The DOJ, it's institutionalized, it's not changing. Commerce, Treasury, they're not changing. DHS, we're still deciding who we are. We have an opportunity to do that. So who do we want to be? What do we want to be as an organization? So we come to work. We need to be thinking of what policies, what decisions. How can we make this the best place to be to fulfill our mission? And I like thinking about those things. I uh, I talk about um, leadership and what does that mean? And when I talk about leadership, I talk there's there's three things, three pillars that I talk about. And this is what I say: if you're a leadership organization, this is what you owe your people. These are three components, and we're going to be shaping how we do things in the future going, going forward. I've got a plan laid out that's going to go well beyond me because it takes to do that, but uh, I talk about three things. One, leadership. What's it mean to be a leader? Are you accountable? How does that work? Do you do your job? Number two, integrity. Mm-hmm. That's key for our organization. When you're an organization like ours that's in charge of the whole public trust, there's, there's, that's, the, that's the most important thing for us to first have. And three, take care of your people. I usually tell a story this way. You know, when I joined the Border Patrol, our street creds were this: if someone, another agent called a border agent, three things showed up. When they could shoot, they could track, and they could speak Spanish. I mean, that's what. That's what. That's why. If somebody else called us, that's what they expect to show up. Now, sometimes they got a lot of other stuff they didn't yeah, anticipate yeah, sure. when that when that arrived. But you got <laughs> those. You got you got those three <laughs> things, right? That was our street creds. What the goal is? Our goal is. The commissioner's goal is, and my goal is, is what do we want the street creds of a leader that comes out of CBP to be? That's what we want, and this is what we want them to be. If, a, if somebody else calls for a leader of CBP, I want someone to say, I don't know anything about them, but I don't know this. One, they're a leader. Number two, they have integrity. And three, they know how to take care of their people because I believe that's what we owe people. Anybody you lead, you owe them your leadership. You owe them to be there in the moment, to be accountable for what you do and what you say. Number two, you owe them your personal integrity. That's a debt you owe them. If you're going to inspire someone to, to to do what you say, to help you accomplish your goal or do something, they need to know they have confidence in you. They're not going to be embarrassed by you and that you mean what you say. And number three, you owe them your commitment to take care of them. And they have to have confidence that you're committed to those three things. If you're committed to those three things, the mission will surpass your great your whatever expectation you have, it will surpass that. The the people will take you that far. That's been proven to me time and time again where I've just been well, I think we're going to, do, I think I can get the team to do this at this level. And they go 10 times what I thought he could do. And it's all because the, given the right, given the right opportunities, they will do that for you. It's just, you just got to, those three things, leadership, integrity, take care of your people.
0: I love it. I do not think that there is a better way to end our conversation than those three things. Um, Chief. Thank you. Well, I thank you for
1: the opportunity to talk about some of this. This is all, yeah. this is kind of the stuff that I'm passionate about. And I, I I tech, this this will outlive all of us yeah. well into the future of this organization if we set the foundation right as we shape who we are as an organization
0: i love it so on behalf of a grateful nation and a grateful organization thank you for 38 plus years uh you will be missed
1: it appreciate very much it's an honor I, i'll leave this one last thing in this job the days are long but the years are short trust me on that
0: <laughs> that sounds like a hashtag to me <laughs> um, so normally i end the podcast. By looking in one of these cameras and saying honor first, but I'd like you to do it.
1: All right. Honor
0: first.